this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters Friday. Get tickets now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Tom... When you go to an outdoor potluck affair, you know, one of those things where everything is served in large aluminum trays, what is your favorite dish? I don't know why, but the first thing that comes to my head is banana pudding. Oh my God, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> that's exactly what I was going to say with vanilla wafers. Yes. This is Pack Your Knives. I'm Kevin Arnovitz. And I'm Tom Haberstrow. Tom, a melding of the minds. That's insane. Like, that's one of those quantum physics moments. Wow. How did we do that? I mean, I think we both reside sort of in the Southern spirit, and there's nothing better in the world than banana pudding with Miller wafers. And, you know, and they're the right, they've lost, you want them to lose a little bit of their crunch because they're kind of fun when they're cakey, but not too cakey. Yeah. First thing was the the banana pudding, and then in my head was I like, was I was that a dessert? It's not really what you're going for. And then I went with I went with that because I was going to go with chicken and maybe some pulled pork. But the banana pudding, there's just nothing better. Mac and cheese is a close second. Yeah, that's a good one. Mac and cheese is a close second. It has yeah, to be I'm, crusty. Or you're the one who's getting the crust on there, right? Like absolutely. when people are going in, you're not going absolutely. for you, absolutely. I'm going for a corner. Going for a corner. Corner kick. One hundred percent. All right, Tom. You know, I, I think Restaurant Wars is sort of the all star break of. Of, of Top Chef, right? Like it gets serious. Now we're down. You survive, you know, you survive Restaurant Wars. You're in the top half of finishers in a 15 contestant field. Uh, so here we go. And the quick fire challenge is kind of a fun one because it, it, they basically lay out seven colors of food. Uh, each chef is going to get assigned a color and they must compose a dish with that color. So I think it's actually a stealth plating challenge. Mm. I mean, obviously, this stuff needs to taste good, but I, I kind of like this challenge because you know I'm a little bit of a sucker for plating. I agree with you um, because when when Evelyn put put her uh, her soup down, I was like, that looks more brown than it is black. But how are you going to create that blackness to to the dish? It's really hard to do. But like, there was a certain art aspect to this um, challenge because they already give you the ingredients. There's really there's no kind of like innovation in terms of the actual ingredients. Yes, you have to put them together. And yes, this feels a little bit like chopped where they give you the ingredients and then you got to make the great dish. Um, so yeah, the presentation, I don't know, who, who did you think had the best presentation of all of these? There was Ashley with the yellow, Damar with green, Nick with orange, Evelyn with black, Jay with red, Buddha with white, and Luke with purple. Which one, which one popped for you in an Instagram way? I actually think Luke and Buddha. Which comes as no surprise. I mean, I think in terms of artistry, I mean, in fact, Luke to a fault sometimes falls back on that. But I, I think those two, Demars look like the most delicious. Um, and by the way, I, I think white is kind of a fun color to work with. 
Um, it has this yep. sort of like the, like the cleanliness of an orchid. You know, it's just it, it's kind of mm. striking. Uh, and I thought Luke did a really nice job um, on on plating. But yeah, that that those would be who I would choose. Yeah, and and Demar's. I mean, in terms of taste, I thought that one was probably the tastiest dish of all of them, just because of the ingredients. And there are a few vegetables that I like more than a charred broccoli. Definitely charred, though. Yeah, definitely charred. Like a raw broccoli. I'm okay with a raw bro- broccoli on a on a crudite with a little dip. Oh, like I'm good God. with that. What is worse than the broccoli florette on the crudite? I'm sorry. At least it has some texture to it. Come on, I'm fine with that. You don't. What? All right. You you prefer a carrot? Yes, I do prefer a carrot. Really? Yes, I prefer a carrot. At least the broccoli has texture dynamics where you have the 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 floret. And- Look, there's no such thing as good crudite. Let, let's just let's just uh, get that out there. There's okay, no such. Okay. It's the most. It's the saddest food in the world. Unless you've got like a just one of those French onion dips from our childhood that is just so like where okay, this is a vehicle. It's not a particularly attractive vehicle. It's like a Yugo, but. It, 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 it is a good vehicle for that dip. Um, by the way, I, I would say in terms of taste, I, I mean, I think there's something really – cauliflower au gratin and the cauliflower has been wood-fired like Buddha. Like mm. that's probably going to be yummy. I mean, you know, you slather good cheese on a vegetable and it makes the vegetable – it's kind of like an egg yolk. You know, you can't really go wrong with that. And for those who are listening at home who have not had breakfast at Kevin's house – Kevin loves a good egg yolk. He, oh, I when I went over yolk. there, I mean, he he served me scrambled eggs, but with no whites. It was just the egg yolk, and it was so good. It was so good. Egg white is filler. <laughs> By the way, I, I would also give an honorable mention. I will totally eat gokuchang glazed beets any day of the week. So I love beets, and I imagine Jay strawberry gokuchang. So he's got like kind of a sweet, spicy. I, yeah. I would imagine, that, that's my dark horse. And I wonder again, you can't taste the food, but in terms of that. Um, so this was an interesting one. Like everyone kind of did well. I mean, Ashley and Nick were sort of like, eh, it was good, not that good. So they were on the technical bottom, but you got the sense they weren't like, they didn't serve up any clunkers, just maybe a couple errors here and there. And then we had Damar, Evelyn and Buddha on the top. Damar is just firing on all cylinders, even with immunity. He didn't go with, we'll get to it later. He got the immunity on this one because, you know, he, he produced an amazing dish. The, the the guest judge Naisha Arrington here, she was flicking her wrist because it was so hot fire. Like the she was overcome with emotion about how good that dish was, Damar, and he's just so stoic. He's so stone faced, and they bring it up all the time that he just doesn't have show any sort of emotion in either direction. He's got this very baritone bass voice, and he's just very even keeled. Um, he's incredible. I feel like Padma and Naisha, there's this energy about Damar that they're just really attracted to because he, he just comes off as I'm just the steely guy who just produces amazing food. I'm never too high, never too low. And he just produces, and he does it here on this one with, with this, um, with this Tremula broccoli steak with Harissa glaze. And then when you talk about Buddha, it no, was, don't forget it, the avocado puree. Oh yeah. That was the thing don't that she was flicking her wrist. The avocado yeah. puree. He is the Barry Sanders of top chef chefs. You know, you, you, you get into the end zone and man Sanders got into the end zone a lot. And you just kind of toss the ball to the ref and you go back. Like there is something beautifully stoic or like one of those coaches, you know, on the sidelines where the team just gets the improbable buzzer beater game winner and everyone's going crazy. It's like, I mean, like Brad Stevens was kind of like that. Jay Wright did the classic one. Jay Wright Villanova won the right, championship right, right. on a buzzer beater and he just – turns and shakes the hand of the opposing coach. I mean, that's Jay Wright. So that he gets the Jay Wright award here for just he's he's a cartoon character at this point that he's just not gonna he's not gonna react. He's just never too high, never too low. He wins the quick fire here. And interesting turn of events. I I can't remember seeing this on this show. Padma just kind of coaching Luke up. You notice that? Yeah, I mean, I have to tell you something. I almost felt sorry for him. It was like a participation award for like the kid who's on the soccer team who isn't like really getting reps because he's terrible. And you still like, like it was almost like, yay, you had the fourth best out of seven dishes. Honorable mention. You got an honorable mention. Yeah. Like, all right. If it was top three, just call it top three. If it wasn't top three, it's not like it's almost like pathetically just again a backhanded compliment it was a pity it was a charity vote it was a charity it wasn't even a vote it was a charity like 
I don't know, consolation prize. For the scoring of this episode, I did not give him a point or a half a point or a point two five uh, for a top three in the quick fire. I don't think you got that. You can't give him anything. Like he wasn't no, in the top three. Was here. Yeah, yeah. He, he didn't get any points there. So in to remind people at home who are scoring, we do a fantasy scoring system where in the quick fire, if you win the quick fire, you get three points. If you finish in the top three of the quick fire, you get one point. And if you're you know, bottom, it doesn't matter. It's just you can only get additive points there in the quick fire. And Luke didn't get any because Luke, you don't get points, Kevin, on pack your knives for just being just bad enough to not finish in the top three. No, no participation uh, trophies here on this show. So Naisha is sticking around for the elimination challenge. Um, Kevin, let's set up what we are about to uh, encounter here in Houston. They're going to pay tribute to Juneteenth which is a holiday celebrated for the kind of the actual uh, liberation of the slaves. I mean, one of the things that happened is, okay, so some guy in Washington, you know, issues the um, Emancipation Proclamation, but like there's no Twitter, there's no internet. Um, and frankly, there's still a lot of the South still controlled by the Confederacy. And in those places, they don't really give a shit about the Emancipation Proclamation. Um, and in some places, actually, word doesn't even get there for quite some time. I mean, just remember, there is no there's no functional mail system even um, in, in the Confederacy, which is essentially at this point still, you know, well, it hasn't, it, it, the secession has been turned away. It's still um, Confederate controlled land in many cases. So uh, it was finally, and Galveston did play a, a key role in this, where it finally filtered out to the sort of the last of the territories and states. And that is sort of what it, it, it it celebrates is the actual freedom the, the you know the, there's de facto and there's de jure and this is the de facto freedom right and we had kwame chef kwame and chef don burrell who came and uh for this elimination challenge and they went to bethel baptist church and it's kind of um it seemed like a very beautiful uh almost like transport in time i remember going to casa viejo casco viejo in, in panama um, and seeing like the old ruins of the old city. And it reminded me a lot of that with Houston, where this is kind of, uh, it's still standing, this church, and they're doing a tour of it. And then they were able to uh, get the historical elements. They had some soul food there prepared for them. And it was a, it was a history lesson and also fitting r- right in with the, the soul food motif here for the elimination challenge. So what the challenge was is essentially Create your soul food. Whatever that means to you is soul food, your sense of place, your sense of home, your sense of ancestry. Bring it out on this on this dish and this uh, this challenge. And of course, Damar has um, immunity here, which is the last round of immunity, Kevin. And I feel like, again, they all produce some really good dishes. Yeah, I, and this is one of those, hey, it's, it's tough to send anybody home, which, which again, happens once you get to the top half of the competition. I mean, by definition, these are chefs who've, who've cooked well enough to make it. And I love this part of the challenge. I mean, look, I, I guess there's some schadenfreude if there's a chef you don't respect. The, the crash and burn does create sort of a level of trauma. But I really like it when you start having to make the finer distinctions to determine, you know, who was superb and excellent and who was merely very good and therefore vulnerable to being sent home. Uh, It's one of those, I mean, we see challenges like this in in various contexts every season, right? Which is, you know, you're paying homage to heritage. Um, Freedmanstown is is sort of the basis of it in this particular episode. But at the end of the day, the seven chefs are each asked to cook something that that represents your heritage. Um, And and which I think is a, is a really cool challenge. I mean, there's not a lot. It's an easy challenge only in the sense that, and I think Ashley said this in the kind of intro to it, which was, hey, this is a dish I've been making my whole life. By definition, the dishes that tend to come out of heritage challenges, as we can call them, tend to be stuff that is in their back pocket for years, right? These are the, the dishes that they grew up with. And as a result, I think it is a bit easier. And again, other than... Uh, other than DeMar kind of running into a problem on his skillet for his hoe cakes, there really didn't seem to be any snafu. Buddha even said, Tom, yeah. like, yeah, I was done early. I was, you know, the kid turning in his paper and then reading the sports section as I did. Like that was sort of, <laughs> you know, for 30 minutes. I mean, you know, the standing in the test early. Nice brag there, Kevin. No, no, you finish I finish mean, your multiplication tables early and then you also had a newspaper there oh, come on, at I, your desk. What I brought, what did you, like, didn't you bring, like, I always brought the paper to school. Because you don't have time to read it in the morning because you're a kid and you got to like – you barely have enough time to sit and have breakfast. And so like I wanted to read the paper. You brought so I, your newspaper to school like in your book bag? Yeah. 
dude, I'm a journalist. That, that doesn't happen by accident. I was growing up, I grew up on the damn paper. You're so studious that not only did you finish your test early, you did some extra credit by reading the, the day's news in your paper. No, there's no extra credit. I just went, it was like, look, I didn't have a commute on a freaking metro train. I just, you have homeroom. Are you the, You're eight years old with the New York Times? I didn't like other kids. <laughs> Not the New York Times. We didn't get the New York Times. We, we lived in, I lived in a very high, so I make this distinction, right? There are book Jews and mirror Jews. Book Jews have books on their walls. Mirror Jews have mirrors on their walls. I grew up in a little bit of a hybrid, but leaning mirrors. So we didn't get the New York Times. We didn't get the New Yorker. Like we got the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And like, I think we got USA Today because I needed the stats on Tuesdays and Wednesdays where they did the they did the whole National League on, on Wednesday, the whole American League on Tuesday. So like USA Today was actually, I don't think it was a particularly great newspaper, but man presentation. Like they always had the Nielsen's, which was they're great on lists and graphs and and if you are a list and graph man, as you are, Tom, there was a certain pleasure to Mick Paper, which uh, yeah. USA Today was known as somewhat derisively. But you know what? McDonald's is good sometimes. So, you know, you're, that's you're reading the op ed section of national uh, publications while I'm just like scribbling like drawings and mazes like on my on a sheet of paper. I grew up loving newspapers, okay. which is how I ended up in this for cocktail industry. Anyway, enough of that. Um, Give me your handicap of the field here. Like, I mean, we're at seven. The choices I thought were really interesting. They were interesting for a number of reasons, right? They were interesting because, you know, you, you get to really see the culinary traditions these chefs grew up in, but they're also interesting because it's a strategic decision like any other. I think Buddha making the curry was an interesting choice because although it does pay homage to the his family um, and, and the Nasi Lamak, it felt like he was doing it kind of like – I don't know, for the first time. And he mentioned it was a very weird, uh, very strange comment from Buddha when he was talking about this dish. He said to the in the confession, he's like, I haven't made a dish like this on Top Chef before. As if he's an all-star, as if this is like his sixth round of Top Chef. Like, I haven't made this dish on Top Chef before. Buddha, has he secretly been on All-Stars before? Because it seems like he he does have this kind of pedigree on this show that he can say something like that as if he's been on the show for like 17 years. Oh, I just interpret it as like, hey, he's worked through like at this point six quick fires and seven actual challenges. It's been 13 dishes and he hasn't done this. By the way, I, I, wanna, I do want to call out um, the best Nafi Lamak I've ever had is in a Bornean restaurant in Alhambra, which is just east of downtown Los Angeles, it's in, in in sort of the San Gabriel Valley. There is an actual Bornean restaurant, and Borneo is not a very big place. And they do a delicious nasi lemak, which is you know the rice dish, and you have the pandan leaves and the sambal, which wasn't spicy enough apparently for the judges in this particular case. And I love like eggs and anchovies, as you said. I, I like eggs in any form. I love them in savory food, um, in like dinner food, not just breakfast food. And, and then what's better than an anchovy? Um, and so it, it is sort of a little bit of a deconstructed curry dish. Um, and in this case, I thought it sounded like the deconstruction did not serve Buddha well. That's right. The whole was not greater than the sum of its parts. And that's that's something that um, didn't get him sent home. And we'll talk about who did get sent home in a little bit. But I thought Nick um, did a really solid job. Um, Ashley, well, we'll, we'll save that one. Ev, Evelyn with the chorizo, uh, Supe with the beet cake. It was... Um, kind of blew the minds of all the yes. judges that she was able to do a beet sulpe. And I think when you're Ev, this wasn't exactly the categorical, traditional, conventional Evelyn dish, but still she is just rolling, man. One is I was quite surprised that she wasn't mentioned as a contender for the win. I mean, yes. they, they did that. There was only two, you know, two nominees. Uh, the other thing is I, I, I totally love this. And again, I go back to chef Gregory, like this is, it is that that umami chorizo saltiness, the sweet pineapple, kind of the herbaceous salsa verde, and then obviously this kind of corn and beet hybrid. Like he, there is something Gregory-ish about her food, and I've said it now three times. But I, 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 she, I in some ways, she is she and Damar are kind of the most underrated chefs. We totally missed out. Um, and and you know she's kind of bubbly, and I, I think sometimes we discount. You know, we although. And this guy, I'm gonna, I was say we dis, we 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 say if a chef doesn't seem serious that that we discounted in the draft, but Demar seemed very serious. But um, Evelyn is just, she's kind of my favorite contestant right now. I will tell you right off, she is my favorite contestant right now. She takes risks. Um, I love kind of her hybrid tendency. Like again, she could have made a plain old masa cake, but she knew it would look prettier. You add this extra component, 
beets are delicious. I'm sorry, they are. I mean, you know, people don't care for them often, but like, it just, I love the choices. I loved the component parts. Again, it feels like a Gregory dish to me. Yeah, Gail called it chef magic. And, you know, she is, she's rolling. And Evelyn in our, in our scoring system is very strong. She's in second, the most on your team uh, for good reason. And, and Jay, look, Jay wins this episode. Um, I kind of felt like she was waiting to break out. Um, she's got two wins here. The, the kimchi fish, sweet potato puree. Um, Tom makes the dad joke of its soul. It's, you know, soul food, mm-hmm. get it, Korea, uh, capital is uh, South Korea, get it, get it. And we're, we're at this point where Jay, I feel like is in that tier. I think she has shown the ability that she can win this damn thing. Uh, two wins with this tied for the most of the remaining contestants. Uh, what'd you think about her, her dish here? Oh, I wanted to eat it so badly. First of all, I just, I, I love fish and I love when real chefs do fish. Cause it's not a easy, easy to do at home. Um, and it's just so clean and I'm probably on my way to pescatarianism. So I'm, you know, it's, it's wonderful to see that kind of dish. Um, so many fun little, very fun little pieces like the shrimp bisque. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You don't have to do that. And it just gives it, a, you know, it gave it a creaminess, um, a place to sort of situate the cod. You still kind of capture that, that sort of fish stockiness with you know, the cod, you have a shrimp and, um, you know, and, and then just kind of you're topping off with kimchi, which is just a wonderful additive. It, it, kimchi gives you crunch. It gives you vinegar. It gives you spiciness. It's just such a great practical food for more, you know, more composed plates. So it was just like great choices, just great, great choices. This often is, and we talked about it with Evelyn, sometimes the challenge is what are your component parts? And those parts are very, very important um, because they provide the necessities the judges want, acidity, umami, et cetera. And, and, it's very much about, you know, it's obviously about your prep and your cook, but in many cases, it's really about the component parts and those who nail it. And it's, it's a weakness, I think, and to segue, I think the component part task is a, is a weakness of Ashley's. Totally. And she gets in the bottom here where she mentions the low country crab rice. And when you say crab fried rice or crab rice, it's crab, crab. Give me the crab. And Gail was like, I didn't even get any crab whatsoever. And she does the gravy where Tom criticized it as like you had two concepts and you kind of mashed them together and one was way overpowering. The oyster gravy was okay, but then it just totally dulled the rest of the dish. And I think for Ashley, like she has a common mistake, which is she, she says something in a dish and then it doesn't really come through and it doesn't come together. And I think with this one, that was one of her mistakes is hello listener. I'm sure you don't need me to tell you that we at Cinephobe love our pets. Zach and Boogie are inseparable. I've got two cats and a dog. And Amin is giving his best ass on performance to convince dog owners that he loves their pet. Hey, Noodle. Hey, boy. How you doing? And Noodle's just like, yeah, whatever. (laughs) Which is why today's episode is sponsored by the ASPCA Pet Health Insurance Program. Your pet is part of your family and you want the best for them no matter what. But vet bills can really add up. That's why you should check out pet insurance. And with ASPCA Pet Health Insurance, you can focus on the care your pet deserves and cover what matters most. The ASPCA Pet Health Insurance Program offers customizable accident and illness plans, making it easier for pet parents like you to help your pet get the care they may need. The ASPCA Pet Health Insurance Program has been around for over 18 years, and they've helped more than 600,000 pets during that time. They allow you to customize your plan, helping ensure that your pet's plan is as unique as they are, because vet bills can really add up, especially when you're least expecting it. It's simple. Use their app to submit a claim, and you'll receive reimbursement for eligible vet bills directly into your bank account. To explore coverage, visit ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash dings, D-I-N-G-S. That's ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash dings. Again, that's ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash dings. This is a paid advertisement. Insurance is underwritten by either Independence American Insurance Company or United States Fire Insurance Company and produced by PTZ Insurance Agency Limited. The ASPCA is not an insurer and is not engaged in the business of insurance. Hey, listener, it's your favorite Butcher Turn podcast producer, Mays, here to talk to you about Butcher Box. A not-so-wise man once said, it's not that hard, just chop, chop. Who knew that he was talking about pork chops from Butcher Box? 
It's not that hard. It's easy to get high quality meat and seafood you can trust delivered right to your doorstep. Free shipping, always a variety of high quality cuts at an amazing value. You get exactly what you need. Premium ingredients for your meals to feed your family. I know how it is. You go to the grocery store. You're stressed. You got a lot of food to get. And then you got to wait in line at the butcher counter. Maybe your butcher is a tall man with an attitude. I don't know. I've never experienced that, but maybe it happened to you. That's why I love ButcherBox. You've always got meat in the freezer or in the fridge. You're ready to cook at any time, and you're not going to find such high quality at such low prices anywhere else. So sign up for ButcherBox today by going to butcherbox.com dings, D-I-N-G-S, and use code dings at checkout to enjoy your choice of bone-in chicken thighs, top sirloins, or salmon in every box for an entire year, plus $20 off. Again, that is butcherbox.com dings, and use code dings, D-I-N-G-S. Chop, chop! We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Uh, was the, was There was just no crap, and it didn't pop. And I think when you have, at this stage of this competition, a mistake like that, I thought she was going home. Kevin, when they describe uh, Luke's dish, I was like, yeah, I mean, but it was it was good. It just maybe didn't have the right, um, didn't have enough uh, uh, fat in there that it wasn't a juicy meatball. Um, but Ashley really did feel like that was the losing dish, that that was the eliminated dish. I really felt like there weren't as many positives about that dish as, you know, with, with Buddha or with Luke. And so I was actually very surprised that Ashley was not sent home here. I, however, probably would have fallen into the Tom camp. I think I would have eaten that all day. <laughs> like I don't mind the slop. Like I know it's not a beautifully composed dish and it lacked texture and all the things I'm sure were true, but I have a feeling I would have eaten that. I mean, oyster, what is better in this world than oyster gravy? Oh, confession, Tom. I ate four dozen oysters by myself the other day. Hey, not a confession. That is a, that is an accomplishment. I want to tell you the chef at the restaurant's a new place in Memphis. He came out to dap me. What kind of oysters did you go with? It was Gulf Coast, and there was um, some Washington State. It wasn't um, Kumamoto, and it wasn't Kushi. I am trying to remember what it was. There's a place here in Charlotte called Sea Level that has like mm-hmm. dollar oyster happy hours. Yes, and that's what I did. That's what I did. There's nothing better in the world than just sitting in front of like 6,000 oysters and crushing them. And people are always like, oh, you're going to get sick later. And I have never gotten sick. Never. And shout out to Sea Level that it's always prepared nicely. And I just – I can cr- – my dad and I, we sat down. Um, we, we polished off 108 together. And the, the restaurant did the same thing. It was like some guys over here did uh, did like 99. This, these two dudes came in and did 99 oysters. And my dad looked at dad and I looked at each other like, we'll do that for an appetizer. It's like the Joey Chestnut moment. I think he ate 70 hot dogs. Are you a uh, mignonette? Like, do you like a cocktail sauce or do you like a little vinegar? Like, No, I, I'll tell you something, man. Uh-uh. You just like to slurp it down? I am a purist. And the funny thing is I only didn't get a fifth dozen because i had to go i had a 6 30 call um and i, I hit oh, happy hour i hit happy hour so i'm gonna go back i'm gonna go back like i'm i'm first of all it's one of the few places this is called fancies it just opened in memphis if we have memphians listening uh, or if you're going to memphis um and by the way there's nothing really extraordinary about the place but they do have the best um baby jim caesar salad i've ever had um and they have just oysters and one dollar Monday through Thursday is 40. That's my thing. Cause like they're like three or $4 when they're not. I mean, you're, Oh yeah. He told me that it's actually a lost leader that he's losing a quarter on every one of my oysters. And then I felt terrible. He's like, no, 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 we need to, <laughs> we need to turn the inventory. And I was like, I feel terrible. As you're tipping back the oyster and gulping it down. He's like, Oh, I'm losing it. And you're like, don't care. Don't care. This is delicious. It's the old Yiddish joke. Like he's losing money on every sale, but he's making it up in volume. Wait, wait, Kevin, what was the joint in Memphis you always sent me to? Andrew Michael? Hagen Hominy. Was that Memphis? Yeah, so Hagen Hominy and, and Andrew Michael, same restaurant tours of the one of the best restaurant tours in the Mid-South. Uh, they now have actually even more places. They open Mary and Catherine, they open Great Canary, they open Bishop, which ha- specializes in tinned fish. 
And I don't know about you, Tom, but I am a big tinned fish man. Yes. And so, and actually I've been doing a breakfast. They also do just a perfect French omelet and that's going to my 11 o'clock midday meal now uh, in Memphis. It's right next to my hotel. So um, yeah, I'll I'll just take this time. So, you know, I've been eating well in Memphis. Bishop was fun. Um, However, Minneapolis still impresses. It is spoon and stable, I think is one of the five best, um, one of the five best restaurants in America. And then there is a very well-regarded new chef, um, new restaurant called Owamni, and it is Native American food. And they only have ingredients that were here before colonization. So there's no chicken or beef on the menu. There is game. There is bison. There is mm. duck. There are is trout. And it is just a lot of old school grains. And I sat at the bar last night and had one of the best meals I've had. And, and between student and stable, and I think this might be my one and two for the season, for the year right now. Minneapolis does great work. Um, and I, I just, I always enjoy my eating here, even though it's freaking 41 degrees. Um, they don't do spring, but they do food. Yeah, how do those local animals survive in the winters up in Minneapolis? That's my question. I think bison are pretty resilient. You know, you see them around Wyoming. They're pretty resilient. I know. I'm just, I just don't want to live in that climate again. You know, we lived in Miami together and after that I've been spoiled. It's why I'm in Charlotte is just because, you know, I can't get too far away from the family up north, but I also, it's, it's beautiful. It's 75 degrees out right now. This is, this is where I'm at. So Kevin, um, I want to ask you about this, uh, this episode was very odd to me because the editing was different than it usually the, the structure of the episode didn't ring true to how it usually is and I'll 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 explain what I mean. Like coming out of a commercial break they almost like spent like 2 minutes reviewing Nick's dish and Jay's dish um after they already talked about them and then they d- reviewed them and then they went to like the next chefs and it was just very odd that they did that like summary 2 minutes of Nick again and and then Tom and Tom and the whole team of, of judges were together. And then they weren't together in the second half of the judging of the eating at this party. Um, they split off into two groups. First, they were all together where it was Padma, Tom, Don, Kwame, Gail, and Naisha. And then they split off into two groups where Tom and Padma were sep- were in a, in a separate um, crew with Don. And then Kwame and Gail and I, Naisha were in a separate team and they were eating and judging themselves. And I didn't get that communal, like the six of them are talking about the dishes and it was really cool to like, see them all like disagree or what their thoughts and chiming in. No, it was like halfway through, there was this like split where they went into two teams and we didn't get that communal like huddle up, um, which was odd. And I don't know if there was something that happened in the episode that they had to like split them. But the other thing that was odd to me was there was no top or bottom three. Like they didn't separate the two groups. And it was very confusing to me because normally we get that even at this stage where there's seven chefs, we normally know who's in the top and who's in the bottom. But they decided to do all of them in front of them. And I was I was struck by that. Did you? Yeah. I mean, did you notice? And, and it's funny, and, and we'll have to talk about scoring, and I, I usually defer to you on this. I thought that was weird. And my interpretation was Damar, Evelyn, and Nick on the top, or maybe Nick kind of – Damar, clearly, I, I had it ranked this just by virtue – and again, I didn't rank them. I'm, I'm by virtue of their commentary. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I had, obviously, Jay number one, Damar yep. number two, yep. Evelyn number three, Nick number four, Buddha number five, Ashley number six. And Luke, who we haven't talked about yet, number seven. Okay. I would have the same exact ranking, except I would have Ashley at the bottom and Luke in that second. No, no. I'm not saying what you would do. I'm saying what I interpreted the oh. judges did. Oh, I, I, and again, I, I can't comment. I'm still saying that Ashley, judging by the judges' reactions, I thought Ashley had the losing dish. And Luke, um, I, I, I was still very surprised that he was sent home, even though he's been kind of uh, a freeloader this entire season of Top Chef. He's just been like somehow latching on to the car and just holding on um, as it as it pulls away. That didn't seem like to me a losing dish compared to the. Um, I mean, mom's maybe I'm I'm biased is that one of the few dishes that my mom made for me as a kid was was meatloaf, and she's not a great chef in the kitchen. But she would always make this meatloaf and she also did a good beef stroganoff. So like that dish, when when Luke came out with it, I was like, oh, that's nice because I have a similar – I don't know if, if I were going to think of home and what my mom cooked. That would be similar to what I would have done even though I'm not half 
I'm, I'm not at a, a hundredth of what the chef that Luke is, even though he's uh, clearly a la- last in this competition at this point. But Kevin, um, do you disagree that you thought he he shouldn't have been sent home? It should have been Ashley. I don't know, and I'm, I'm not I'm not taking the, you know the fifth here. I, I honestly, we don't taste the food. We don't taste the food. I will say that if he didn't execute his protein, that is consistent with sending homage, mm-hmm. um, which is, you know, and whereas, okay, she combined two components that should have been apart. And, but I got the sense that the rice was good. The oyster gravy was good. They were annoyed that, you know, she, she left money on the table by not, you know, that she nailed all the prep and she, or, or the cook. And then she just kind of threw things together. Whereas he, again, he didn't nail his protein. That is typically a very important, um, means of judgment um his sure. cheesy mashed potatoes look great so he did a um fricadella which is just a, essentially a, Nor- a, a nordic meatball and it didn't have the fat it needed and it didn't have the juiciness it needed and so it was a little too firm um the whole point of meatloaf is juiciness as they said um i didn't eat a lot of we, we never made meatloaf growing up um but uh yeah that that was my interpretation is that you know and i also do think and let I me mean, tell remind me tom have they conceded that in very close contests they do take the full season's output into effect no i don't think so okay i don't think they've ever like said that there's a tie and there's a tiebreaker so i think this was just luke they felt had the losing dish that was it i mean that was sort of the order i interpreted um i don't know how we score it because evelyn wasn't mentioned let's talk about it yeah Obviously, I have an interest in Evelyn getting points for a dish they clearly loved. However, if they don't mention her in the debate, I think the only people you can consider on the top are Jay and Damar. And the bottom, definitely Ashley, definitely um, Luke, obviously. Is Buddha truly – because symmetrically, if it's two top, is it three bottom? You know, Buddha, they were a little disappointed, but I don't think it was like bottom fair, but I will defer to you. Okay, so here's what I did. Kevin, I did Damar and Jay plus five for Damar, 10 for Jay, because I think they were the only two dishes that they mentioned in the discussion for the winner. Um, and Jay obviously wins, so she gets 10, Damar gets five. I thought about putting Evan there, but they didn't mention the dish, and so I'm going off of what they said. And if they truly felt that Evelyn's um, uh, trezo beat uh, cake was going to get into that top tier i think they would have mentioned it and i will say we did get a lot of emotion from evelyn talking about her dish and it was clearly she lost her grandmother this year and this was her dish and we saw a lot of you know i think everyone on the panel was choked up and i did see that um jay in particular got um Dawn was really struck by her dish and her story and she was getting choked up. And then suddenly Jay's just streaming tears down her face. And we didn't get that story. We didn't understand. Like there was a little bit, but um, not Naisha. Dawn was just clearly super emotional about Jay's story. And, you know, Evelyn, I thought was going to be in the top three based on the, the reviews of her dish, but she wasn't mentioned in the top. So I just went with two in the top, Damar and Jay. Evelyn in the middle, Nick in the middle, so they both get plus two. And then the bottom, I had Buddha, Ashley, and Luke. Luke being sent home, and I think Buddha. Did they discuss Buddha as a potential candidate for yep ejection? Okay, so th- that to me is sort of the standard, right? Like if they actually in their deliberation say consider him as a even for a second, and clearly it was one of those cases where there was a little disappointment, but he's not going home. But even if they do articulate the fact that he is an initial candidate i'm with you there but you could also convince me the other way on buddha you're just crushing me i mean with that scoring um i had six points this week you had 13 because we got some last chance kitchen oh wait before we get to last chance kitchen did you see kwame's glove i'm not a fashion icon by any what is that what is going on i have no idea I admire him for his um, <laughs> for his uh, sartorial ambition. Hey, that's cool, man. You do you. I, 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 it doesn't hurt anybody. Almost like a medieval armored glove, like a gold glove, but had had like lots of like jewelry on it. I've never seen anything like it. And look, I'm a I'm a white dude, middle aged white dude in in Charlotte, North Carolina. I don't understand what that is. But if you are listening to this show and can explain to Kevin and I what that was. Um, shouts to, shouts to Kwame. That was incredible. It definitely doesn't inform to your vineyard vines look, Tom. <laughs> it just doesn't. <laughs> My Jim Nance look. Yeah. Yes. 
So Last Chance Kitchen. Okay. By the way, I am now starting to really enjoy. Anytime there's one contestant that gets on a run, it gets fun. Spoiler alert. We're going to talk about Last Chance Kitchen from last week, with his, which is Jackson and Sarah going head to head. This one, you, usually we get like 10, 11, 12 minutes. This was like 16 strong minutes of Last Chance Kitchen. That's like a full show, Kevin. Yeah. Like Last yeah, Chance yeah. Kitchen is breaking into like full show status where Tom is calling in from a FaceTime with Gail and they're chilling at Tom's house and they'd like some takeout food sponsored by BMW and go into your X5 and get out the GPS and ooh, do, 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 do. Very cool. Tom um, says it's a ghost chick. A ghost kitchen and they have to basically make three course takeout menu restaurant wars style in 45 minutes kevin 45 minutes conceiving three dishes in general and doing it takeout is hard enough but they throw the hammer on them which is just you can only have 45 minutes to make this and i have it in my notes like okay really really 45 minutes for this, but Sarah does Jamaican. Insane. Jackson does casual Italian. And I don't blame them for just going to these things that they know that they can do well. Like, oh, duh, Jackson does casual Italian. Well, because he's only got 45 minutes to create three courses. And one of them's a pasta, he decides. Yeah, it was amazing. So Jackson comes in and does the chick does chicken and eggplant. He does the pasta. Um, just incredible that he even pulled this off. And Sarah does the jerk shrimp and shrimp and curry chicken with the coconut salad for dessert. And they bring it over to Gail and, and Tom. And it was, you know, it was a close battle, but Jackson ends up going home. I thought they might bring him back kind of like, um, not to say it's rigged, but kind of like uh, Joe Flamstyle where a clear front runner is sent to Last Chance Kitchen, but he's brought back quickly and then he wins the competition. No, Jackson's going home. His loss of taste, loss of s- smell. Um, ultimately, I don't know if it actually sent him home. The fact that he didn't have those senses, I just think he he just hit a wall. It's interesting. I think Sarah has a better than like 5% chance of winning Top Chef altogether. Oh, There's a reason I drafted her early. I think she has demonstrated incredible skill in Last Chance. And also, I do think, we've talked about this in the past, I think once you get down to it, she's the kind of chef it rewards. And um, I think she's creative. I think she knows what she wants to do. There were some execution issues early, but I think that like, I got to tell you, I think she could go up against anybody right now. And I just think once she gets back, if she gets back in, I mean, generally remind me, Tom, it's usually when the sixth or it's usually when the fifth person gets eliminated, the top, the fifth of, uh, then that person plays off with the other, with the contending, uh, the contending champion. That sounds right to me. Yeah, Yeah. I think that's usually it. That sounds right. So it's either next week or the following week, they're going to bring in the final loser's bracket champion into the competition. That's my sense. Two or three weeks because it's usually the fifth one gets eliminated and we're two weeks away from that because seven got eliminated today. Sure. And then before they even go to the four, they're five again is I think the way it has typically worked or in recent seasons. So who would be your top four? Who would be in the final four for you? I think right now. Let's, let's put Sarah aside. Let's just say the top four of the competition. I mean, I think Buddha, Demar, Evelyn, and you know, Nick is interesting. It would be kind of down to Nick and Jay for me. And I think Jay's ceiling is higher. I think her floor is lower. And so Nick is a steady chef. He doesn't fuck up. He is your classic kind of fifth and fourth place finisher where when he goes home, it's going to be for a lack of ambition not for a screw up. And we've seen this many times, right? Like, and it's not that he's skating because it's really good food, but you get to those points where it was like, like Buddha is going to come out with some artful, amazing, you know, bagel and locks and cream cheese deconstruction. And wow, the chefs, it's going to look like a, a, a just a plated miracle. And Nick's going to give them just a really lovely piece of meat um, that is accented by wonderful, additives and it won't be enough to beat like the the true artistes he reminds me of the budenholzer atlanta hawks where they're going to be really good but they're not going to have the high upside of a lebron team right they're not going to have the high upside to win it all and i think if i'm going to produce a final four here on this show buddha jay damar 
and Evelyn are my top four. And Nick is going to be bumped down. He's he, he can win 60 games in the regular season, but it ultimately when it takes to win the championship, he hasn't shown that ability to hit those notes yet. That's not to say he can't and he won't. I just think he is uh, he is just below that that threshold. So we do have something we need to discuss here before we go. I got it. We got a comment here. Mays, our commissioner, can you join us, please? All right. All right, folks. So Zach Lubarski on Twitter draws our attention to a Reddit comment thread where he said that Jackson's wife has come forward with information that she is responsible for some of his behavior and decisions. Her Reddit handle is Mrs. Kalb. Hi, Jackson's wife here. He didn't watch previous seasons because of me. Oh, wow. He was leaving for eight weeks and every mention of TC, that's Top Chef, you PYK heads out there. Tom Colicchio, maybe. Is it Tom? Every mention of Tom Colicchio brought <laughs> me to tears. I was selfish and ultimately at fault for his lack of, quote, research. Didn't let him do his own research, Tom. That's something I have to live with. It's not a full frowny face. It's kind of a, you know, just the one corner down. Mm-hmm. That emoji. Your thoughts, Kevin? My thoughts are... Oh, I'm just I, I'm devastated for Jackson for listening to terrible <laughs> advice. Yes, Tom. Yes, you're a 17 year old preparing for the SATs. By no means would you should you look at a practice test. Like, don't in fact, just go in there cold. Right? You're scouting the Miami Heat for a conference final. By no means watch any film of what this team runs offensively and defensively. Right? Like, like this is absolutely like what terrible advice. I'm sorry. It's two corners frown face. I hear what you're saying. And his wife is very much working together at their restaurant, right? In, in, in Los Angeles, I feel like they open a restaurant together. So it's not like she doesn't know what not studying for top chef competition would do to his chances of winning. And I kind of feel like maybe there's a little sabotage there that maybe if, you know, he, he comes home sooner. I don't know if the actual ramifications of him getting eliminated, if he's held in that purgatory of last chance kitchen longer what but maybe she was she just wanted to see her husband home sooner i don't know all right but if you're gonna do it do it i'm sorry that's selfish to me i actually commend her for being honest about this and coming out and falling on the sword and saying hey my bad my bad i actually screwed up that and i'm gonna come out and i'm gonna defend my husband here because i screwed that up so i actually give her a little bit of points some some brownie points there but ultimately Man, that's tough. Uh, Jackson, buddy, I feel bad for you. You not only had no taste of smell, no no taste or smell, but you had no homework done. Yes, you had a spouse sabotaging you. I mean, let's just call it what it is. (laughs) I agree. I appreciate the transparency. It's good for her to own up to the error, but it is an error, Tom. It is, but you know, you're also talking to you. You're on the road a lot, Kevin. I am, and on the road and your partner allows you to be on the road a lot, and so this might be a little foreign to you. Is the idea of like no, this, no, no. This but, white- but Eric will not respond by saying, "Hey, Kevin, I know you have game night deadline writing. Don't watch the game." <laughs> just right like 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 yeah eric i'm why we were disappointed to be apart as long as we are and i really miss howard too my golden but like they don't tell me don't watch the freaking game yeah that you're reporting on you're right you're right crazy thought for you jackson just outside the box thinking from me Mays, the producer who doesn't watch the show have you ever watch something without your wife around like maybe you know your wife has an activity for the day and she goes out with the gals and then you watch your top chef or just take your ipad to the john there you go watch it in the shower put it in a plastic bag wherever you can find time to do your own research you could have done it jackson and i'm sorry buddy it seems like he might have thought of that but he's got a wife who would, would find out somehow. There's a lot of trust there between the two of them that he would not do his homework in his private own time. That is that is a great point. Well, Jackson, one of the more interesting contestants ever on Top Chef, in my opinion, the fact mm-hmm. that he didn't have taste, didn't have smell, and then had to confess last week in a really curious moment where he kind of knew, maybe knew he was going home and he had to say it. Um, but 
Yeah. Also dealing with that other thing, which is he wasn't allowed to even mention the phrase top chef before he went to the show. Very, very, very difficult circumstances for Jackson. Well done considering all of the stuff that you, the obstacles that you had to jump over, kind of like the hurdles that Don Burrell hurdled over to get to the Olympics. Jackson was jumping over those hurdles and didn't quite get to the finish line at top chef. Kevin down to seven chefs here. No, down to six plus Sarah. Down to six plus Sarah in the last chance kitchen. I think still Buddha is my favorite here. Damar right there behind him. Then I've got Evelyn. It's close. I mean, I, after Buddha's mistakes this episode, it might be just 1A, 1B, 1C, and 1D. I would say 1A, 1B, and 1C. Jay, again, she does commit errors. You know, she's not flawless. I think, her again, her ceiling is really high. I also think that she is prone to some mistakes. She's got two wins. Two wins. I know. I know. But, but again, I'm not debating that. Like, she will rival the others in wins. The question is, is... She does spend some time on the bottom, unlike Damar. Buddha actually does because he's a real risk taker. But that, that's all I'm saying. I'm not. I love. I love Jay as a chef. I, I just think that yeah, there have been a couple of misexecutions, and you can't afford that. Closing thoughts, Tom. Padma. I don't know. Kind of feel like she's going to be really excited if Luke takes down Sarah in Last Chance Kitchen and comes back into the competition. I feel like Padma is going to get at the pom poms out and really cheer that. She really did feel like she she was just like cheering him on and like it was a charity case. And I'm yes. I'm I don't think Luke's going to be long for the Last Chance Kitchen world. He's already inside his own head, and I don't think he has the kind of versatility that Sarah does. So. Uh, I don't think Last Chance Kitchen is going to go well for for Chef Luke here. I think Sarah's going to be back, and I think she's going to be a force once she gets the final five. That is my prediction. Agreed. I think she's going to be right in there in the mix. And uh, and by the way, you can build a lot of confidence in LCK. And that's doing it. So that's my final thought for Tom Haberstrom. This is Kevin Ornamitz, Anthony May is our producer, and this is Pack Your Knives. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Have you made the switch to NYX? Millions of women have made the switch to the revolutionary period underwear from NYX. That's K-N-I-X. Period panties from NYX are like no other, making them the number one leak-proof underwear brand in North America. They're comfy, stylish, and absorbent, perfect for period protection from your lightest to your heaviest days. They look, feel, and machine wash just like regular underwear, but feature incognito protection that has you covered. You can shop sizes from extra small to 4XL. Choose from all kinds of colors, prints, and different styles, from bikinis to boy shorts, thongs to high-rise. You've got to try NYX. See why millions are ditching disposable, wasteful period products and have switched to NYX. Go to knix.com and get 15% off with promo code TRY15. That's Nix.com promo code TRY15 for 15% off life-changing period underwear. That's K-N-I-X dot com.